0: our annual seminary appeal today. The seminary is on lockdown for COVID, they had one, one case. So we don't have a seminary in here today, but we do have a video, it's brief, um, just about, I think it's about three minutes. So we'll watch that.
1: Follow me. Follow me. I feel like I'm called to be a priest because Jesus has asked me to be this priest. It's something that is gifted to you. My name is Timothy Scope. I'm in my fifth year of seven at St. John Biani Theological Seminary here in Denver. I went to the University of Kansas. I started to become interested in the priesthood and what a priest life looks like. My senior year, I was introduced to Jesus in a very tangible way through the Word of God, through Scripture, and just started listening to. His voice in my life, he just started speaking, and the desire to follow him grew. The Archdiocese of Denver is blessed to have two Catholic seminaries uh, here on campus, Redemptoris Monterre um, and St. John Bionni Theological Seminary. So it takes seven to 10 years to become a Catholic priest. There are 110 men between Redemptress Monterre and St. John Bionni. We live in parish houses, houses of formation, and that just causes us to live in life together, raw moments of life. I think that at the end of that walk is a man who hopefully resembles one of the twelve apostles, a man that's ideally rich in mercy and so to anger, has peace, and yeah, just has love for his other brothers. And I, I see that as St. John the God.
2: My name is Luis Guillerme da Silva Mendes. I'm being formed in the Redemptoris Mother Seminary, and I'm in my eighth year of formation. It was in a priestly ordination that I felt the call for the first time, I was very much struck looking at those men giving their lives completely to God. But as a normal guy, I resisted because I (laughs) I have my girlfriend, I have my work, I have my career. The Lord said, I'm a good God. I want to invite you to this adventure with me. It was really God calling me. God is being very generous with this diocese. There are some dioceses that have no seminary at all, and here we have two. Part of our spirituality in the Redentorist Matter is to be part of a community. We are from all different countries. Being missionary for me represents to be open to whatever the Lord wants to send me. The annual cost of the seminary education is $60,000. And that is why we are here uh, to ask you for your generosity,
1: especially of your prayers. The generous donations that come from the people of the Archdiocese help support our room and board, they help support our education, they help support the great food we eat at the seminary, also our retreats that we take.
2: Bendita eres tu, Maria. It's truly the Lord that has appointed me to this place, and to know the people of this Archdiocese is the most precious thing. I am very thankful for your support and your generosity.
1: Thank you for your prayers and support to this year's Seminary Annual Appeal.
2: El fruto de tu vientre, Jesus Maria, tu
0: You want me to sing like that? (laughs) Um, I do encourage you to give to the seminary appeal. There are brochures in your pews. There are more at the doorways. Um, It just matters, right? Without priests, we can't have the Eucharist. We can't have the church. Um, I was resolved today uh, and yesterday, along with supporting the seminary financially, I also just want to give a brief, just kind of plug for vocations. Um, I know they said, you know, we're so blessed we have two seminaries, which we do. The Archdiocese of Denver is hurting in a huge way for seminarians right now. Huge way. When I entered seminary almost 20 years ago, we were doing really, really well. We had a lot of young men who were stepping up to give their lives to become priests. That is not the case now. And there's probably lots of reasons for that. But don't, don't be deceived. Just because we have two seminaries, they said 110 men. That's true. Those are from all kinds of dioceses all across the Western United States. We do not have 110 men studying for Denver. This year, we had four men enter for Denver. That's not good. The year I entered, we had 20. Uh, So, we need to plug that. And the way we do it, by the way, I would joke when I used to go, when I was a seminarian, you would go to Sarah Club meetings and, you know, they would say, oh, we need more priests. And what people do sometimes is if you go to daily mass and you're under the age of 40, right, like six women are kind of staring at you all through mass, not because you're good looking. They're like, what are you doing at daily mass? And they automatically tell you you should be a priest. That's not how it works. We don't get priests just by telling people they should think about being priests. That's not how it happens. Imagine if you went on a date and the girl across from you said, you want to get married, right? Um, That's not how it works. The way it works, we don't get priests by talking about priesthood, actually. We get priests by talking about Jesus. That's how we get priests. And that's how we get good marriages. That's how we get vocations to religious life. We don't need to talk about priesthood so much. We as a community, we have to love him so palpably, so strongly and when we do that when we love him, everything else takes care of itself. I did not become a priest because someone told me to. I became a priest simply because I fell in love with Christ. And so that's what we've we've got to do. Okay. Okay. And if you're a single young man, we're having a, uh, we're drawing straws after mass for priesthood. So, that works too. Who knew? Um, no, we're not really doing that. Okay. Uh, today I want to talk to you and I want to challenge you today. Today I want to talk to you about the virtue of endurance. The virtue of endurance. Uh, it's very fitting right now with everything we're going through. All of us are weary Uh, We're weary with the pandemic, we're weary of politics, we're weary of hardship. Uh, And today's readings, brothers and sisters, are an inspiring call for us to be men and women of endurance, a critical, a critical virtue. If you're going to live a Christian life, you can't do it without the virtue of endurance. So all of us know something of this, my most um, kind of obvious moment where I needed endurance was the one marathon I ran. So my older brother uh, is a phenomenal runner, still is to this day, Um, but back when we were in college, he won the Denver Marathon. Um, He would run marathons all the time. He would run the Pikes Peak Marathon up to the top of Pikes Peak and down again. At the top of Pikes Peak, he's in like third place And then on the way down, he lost some ground, and he was like a total loser and ended up in 15th. Um, But anyway, he's amazing. And one year in college, I love running, but I was never like that. I was never that good. And one year, though, he convinced me. He said, Brian, you have to run a marathon with me. And so I got talked into it, and I trained hard. And I was training, I don't know, maybe six months, something like that. And when you're training for a marathon, right, you build up your mileage, and you slowly build. And I would be running, you know, 30 miles a week, and up to 40, and eventually I got to a place where I was running almost 70 miles a week. And it's amazing how that works. And so the the big day came, and it was in October, and we went out to Chicago because it's an easy marathon. It's like perfectly flat. So we went out to Chicago, and my brother and I ran this marathon together. And when I say together, I mean we both ran and we were both in the city of Chicago. (laughs) That's about as together as we were. Um, But Sean was way ahead of me, of course. He finished, I think, an hour and a half before I did. And we all know how this goes. If you've been training and you're in good shape for a marathon, you run, you come out the gates, and I remember being so nervous and there's a crowd of 40,000 people running the Chicago Marathon, which amazed me. I thought of how hard I trained and just wondered if everyone else had done the same thing. But at the start, you've got all these butterflies, and there's an electric just kind of energy running through the crowd. And it's amazing. And that energy just launches you into the marathon. And so you know how it goes. You run. And the first number of miles go really quick. And seven, eight miles in, you just hit a rhythm. And you're like, OK. And you kind of settle down, and you're in it for the long haul. And the way I felt, I think, is what is very common for marathon runners. You just feel nice and smooth, and the miles tick off until about mile 22. right? And you get to mile 20, it's a big marker, and you think, oh my gosh, i have only six more miles, we're almost done. But those last six miles are going to be harder than the first 20. And so I remember I hit right about mile 22, in Chicago, they, they did a great thing for their marathon, is I had despaired of life itself. <laughs> I was like, I am not going to make it. And... At about mile 22, they did this brilliant thing where they take the course and they run you right through the middle of a mall. And you're running inside through this mall and they crank as loud as you can imagine. They have on all the speakers, eye of the tiger. It's brilliant. And you like come out of the mall and you're like, yeah, I've got the eye. Of the tiger. Right? I am gonna do this. And that lasts another quarter of a mile until you, you sink back into despair. I did finish. If you ever come to my office, I'll, you can ask to see the picture of my brother and I at the finish line, and he looks happy as can be. He just walked out of like a spa or something. He's like smiling, and I'm like, <laughs> I, I'm just like destroyed. It was a great moment, but the key thing in that race, and for anyone who's ever done this, your first marathon, at least, the key is endurance. So when you think you can't go any farther, you have to go one more pace. You have to go the next 10 yards. You somehow have to dig deep down inside of yourself, and you've got to find that place where you are going to keep going. You might be going very, very slowly like I was, but you're going to keep going. That's what today's gospel is about. And it's a very rich gospel. Today we're in Matthew 25, and what I'm going to encourage you to do today, brothers and sisters, today is the Lord's Day, and when you go home today and you're talking with your family about endurance as a Christian... Go look at this gospel. It's Matthew 25, 1-13. And then go jump forward and compare it to Matthew 26 when Jesus is in Gethsemane. And we're going to talk about that here in a second. But first, endurance. The Bible talks about endurance just about everywhere. It's all over the place. So for instance, here's just a couple for you. So, in 2 Timothy, Paul is at the end of his life. And he says, for I am already on the point of being sacrificed. Right, Paul is about to be martyred. In Rome, he will be beheaded by Nero. The time of my departure has come. Paul's at mile 22. Right? Maybe he's at mile 25. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Don't you want to say that at the end of your life? The time's come, it's finally here. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. In your life, adults, you've already noticed this. This has happened to you already. There are moments where you are barely hanging on. There are moments where it's easier. And I want to just just really challenge you today. I want to just scream at you. Our faith, our faith is like rock. Faith is not something fragile. Real faith does not mean I stop believing in God because times are hard. Jesus never promises us that it will be easy to follow him. He never does. In fact, all over the Gospels, and all through the, the, the Scriptures, and all through our faith, God does not promise us an easy path. He actually says, it's going to be way harder if you follow me. Right? Wide is the path that leads to destruction, and those who enter into it are many. But narrow is the path that leads to life and those who enter through it are few. It's a hard path, brothers and sisters, but what God does promise is that he will be with us. And our faith is not something fragile. It feels like it sometimes. I've had times as a priest where I think, Lord, I'm just not strong enough. I just can't make it to mile 23, Lord. I started off way too fast. You know, I ran, I ran my, my first 10K, you know, way faster than I should have. And I don't know that I can make it to 23. All of us experience that if we live a real Christian life. Hebrews, there's all kinds of verses here. In, in um, Luke 8, 13. Luke tells, Jesus tells us in Luke eight thirteen, and that's a parable of the sower. He says that those who bear fruit in the Christian life, they bear it with the same word here, endurance. Hupomone in the Greek. Patient endurance. In Revelation 1, 9, John, at the beginning of the book of Revelation, he says, I share with you the kingdom, the sufferings, And the Hupamone, the patient endurance. But the one I want to zero in on with you is from the book of Hebrews. And in Hebrews chapter 12, one of my favorite passages. If you don't know this passage, it's amazing. In chapter 11, whoever wrote Hebrews, we don't know, whoever wrote it, uh, talks about all the great martyrs of the Old Testament. And this is where we pick up in chapter 12, he says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the word in Greek for witness is martyr, we're surrounded by these martyrs, right? And you think, Jesus, at mile 24, at mile 25, I'm not strong enough. But the author of Hebrews says, you and I are surrounded and being prayed for by the martyrs who have been there. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, of martyrs, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with hupomone, with endurance, the race that is set before us. Paul will say the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It's all over the place. And here's where I want to tie it to our gospel, and I want to just hit you today. You, brothers and sisters, every one of you here is a person of patient endurance in your love of Jesus Christ. And in Him, you are stronger. You are stronger than someone who wavers when things get hard. Not because you're so great, but because he is faithful. And when you call on him when you're hurting, he will always be there with you. He won't fix your problems. I wish you would. (laughs) But he will be with you, and he'll strengthen you. So what does this have to do with our gospel? This is so cool. In our gospel today, we have ten virgins. And I'm not going to go into this another homily We'll talk about why, why are virgins a particularly powerful way of describing the church. They're a powerful way of describing what the church is, but that's not for today. But you have five wise and five foolish ones. And here's the thing, Jesus, there's two things today that are critical for our, this homily. They're, they're going into the night and they're waiting patiently for the bridegroom. And when does he come? Does anybody remember? Midnight, right? That was good. You were a little louder. I know the masks muffle things. Last night, like, I was, like, asking the the congregation that, and they're like, "Hmm." I was like, yes. (laughs) Nine o'clock. No, so he comes at midnight. The Romans divided, we'll we'll get to this, they divided the night into four watches. We're going to talk about that in one second. Four watches of the night. That's critical though. He comes at midnight. The other thing is that the ten virgins all fall asleep. And at the end of the parable today, the very last thing that Jesus says is he says, Watch, for you do not know the day or the hour. And this is so cool. Hang with me. This is so powerful. This is a foreshadowing of, of what's about to happen in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Romans divide the night into four watches. And if we had more time, we would talk about the end of Mark 13 and how the the passion of Jesus follows the four watches of the night. But in those four watches, there's these critical moments. And in Gethsemane, We find ourselves at midnight. And the apostles, think of Peter. Peter said, Lord, even if everyone else betrays you, I will always follow you. I will have hupomone. I will endure. I will die for you, Lord. And at midnight, right, when your eyes are heavy, and it's hard to stay awake. Staying awake in the New Testament is an analogy for keeping the faith, for living a Christian life. And all of us, right, you're going to have your midnight. If you haven't had it yet, you're going to have a midnight. And at midnight, Jesus comes back to the apostles, and they're asleep. And that's a real event, but it's also an analogy for when the church sleeps, we miss the bridegroom. When there's so much here. The, the passion in the New Testament, Jesus' sufferings, are the moment that he weds the church. It's the moment he comes for his bride. Ephesians 5, right? St. Paul says, that the cross was the moment jesus gave his body in a marital way for his bride the church this is the moment the bridegroom comes is at midnight and the apostles are asleep and then he says to them watch watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation this is our life brothers and sisters You are a faithful Catholic. You love God. But that's not enough. You have to beg the Lord for endurance. You have to remember, right, that I am someone who I can't just sprint out the gates. I've got to be ready for mile 24. And when you get to mile 24, right, what do you do? You turn to him and you say, Lord, I'm not strong enough. But I know you are. And I know that when my strength runs out, Jesus, I know that you will carry me. How do we do this when we're weary? And I want to go back to Hebrews 12 and leave you with a really concrete way you do this. When you've been running a long time and you're ready to give up and you say, I just can't keep doing this. How do you stay on the road? Let's go back to Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of martyrs, of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with hupomone, with perseverance, with endurance, the race that is set before us. And here's the key, this is verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Hear that again. Looking to Jesus, right? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. When you are tired, brothers and sisters, when you're ready to stop running, when you don't have the strength, when you're at mile 24, you have to do what Jesus did on the cross. How did the Lord endure the cross? There was a joy in front of him that he kept in front of his eyes. If you have something great that you love more than anything, and your heart is set on it, you can endure anything. When I was running that marathon, I didn't have a great joy, I just had a little joy. It was called beer. And I'm serious, I was like, and I thought at mile 23, I was like, okay, I gotta get there, I need to have a beer with Sean at the finish line. That's a little joy. Felt pretty good at the end of a marathon your joy is him right jesus could go through the cross because he remembered us and his joy was that we would be redeemed and he said if they will be redeemed father i can do anything i can endure the cross itself when things get hard we have to set our eyes on our joy we have to set our eyes on heaven, on the love of Christ, on the redemption that is ours. Brothers and sisters, redemption's real. Heaven is real. This life is hard, but it will end. There is a finish line, there is a groom, there is eternal joy. And you've got to remember that. If you remember that, you will have endurance. And you'll be able to finish the race. So Jesus, today, Lord, we're all tired. We pray for an end to the pandemic. We pray for an end to anxiety. Jesus, I have real anxiety right now. And so many of us do. And Lord, I'm weary. Jesus, would you be our joy? And may that joy give us endurance.